Welcome to Hashtags and Stilettos with Sakita Holly, the podcast that's like having your own personal publicist in your pocket, sharing business, lifestyle, and PR tips on demand. Today's guest is Dawn Kelly. Dawn is an OG in the PR world. Over the course of her long and storied career, she has worked her communications magic for AARP, served as the Director of Public Relations for York College, and spent the last 16 years working in the Global Communications Department at Prudential Financial, where she last held the position of Department Vice President of Global Communications. She has also provided counsel, resources, and support to numerous industry organizations and executives, and is currently providing PR services under her own banner while preparing for the opening of her first brick-and-mortar business in Queens, New York, which will be a juice bar called The Nourish Spot. Dawn is an alumni of the illustrious Howard University (laughs) and was the woman who hired me for the last official job I held before starting my business six years ago. Today I'll be talking with Dawn about our relationship, how to best bridge the generational gap between black women in the workplace, how to reinvent yourself as a free agent and entrepreneur after spending 20 plus years in the corporate world and more. To live tweet this episode, use the hashtag hashtags and stilettos and be sure to tag Dawn at PRMaven17 or me at Miss Success. That's M-I-S-S Success on both Twitter and Instagram. Welcome to the show, Dawn. Thank you, Sakita. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So <laughs> this, am I. So this conversation I. was long overdue, so I just want to jump right in. I want to start at the beginning from when you hired me. What was your initial impression of me? Um, I, it, my initial impression was that you were a very smart an assured young woman and that I would not only be able to uh, impart and teach you new things, but I would also uh, be able to learn a lot from you as well. Mm-hmm. And there are two things. I want to see how much you remember. It's been a while. But there are two things from that interview that really stood out to me. And I, w- I want to see if you remember them. One of them, you know, when we were talking, well, for the audience's knowledge, they should know that when she hired me, this was like back in 2009. So we were in the middle of a recession. So my path to getting a job after graduation was to go through their corporate internship program. Um, so when we were talking and you were asking me, well, you know, what do you ultimately want to do? And I told you then that I'm going to have my own PR firm and it's going to be called House of Success. <laughs> and what were your thoughts about that then and now seeing that I've, I've done that? Well, initially, um, I actually thought, wow, um, she dreams big. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought that you were um, trying to think of the right word. But it was inspiring. It was inspiring because I was a woman that never really thought of having my own business. I was groomed, raised Mm -hmm. to work for someone else. So to meet a young black woman whose aspirations, um, in my opinion, exceeded that of my own, Mm. um, and that you also believed strongly in them, I was... It was amazing to me. I won't. I, I can't lie. It was amazing to me. In addition, when you said house of success, I believe that I told you that I had a picture of myself on a magazine cover mm-hmm. um, that was success. And so yes, you did. You did. And so I felt that that was almost like confirmation that you were the appropriate individual for the internship opportunity. 
That's awesome. You did tell me that too. And we, we laughed about that. But the other yes. the other thing I remember from this interview, and this is kind of how I knew, okay, I'm, I'm about to get this job. <laughs> when, when you walked me around the office to meet, you know, everybody else on the team and one of the other VPs, I don't, I don't know if you'll remember who, you know I do, but, you know, she was asking me, well, what are you going to do after the internship ends? And I like told her with a straight face, I'm going to still be here. <laughs> And she was like, she laughed. Like, she thought that was the funniest thing ever. Like, okay, girl, that's cute. But what what, what happened after my internship ended, Dawn? Um, after your internship ended, I, I was still there. She, yeah, you, I, we hired you. Credential mm-hmm. offered you a full-time job because your work was stellar. And um, we had a need for some staff. Uh, mm-hmm. She was in, in a different part of the department, and I, you know, did my best, and I actually advocated for you mm-hmm. because I believe that you could do the work with your eyes closed. Well, thank you. Thank you. I just thought that moment was funny, and it goes back to what you were saying about, like, being self-assured, and I kind of... I miss who I was then. Like, I'm a little bit, I think I'm a little bit more reserved now. But that person, that Sakita, whoo, <laughs> I don't even know how you did it, <laughs> how you handled me. But um, I think you listened to this episode. But on episode 32, the one about being your motherfucking self, I referenced a moment um, which happened about a month into my employment when I basically sent the entire floor an email expressing my excitement about working there while also listing like everything, you know, that I had done um, in tandem with you during that short period of time. And it was probably five to ten minutes later when another of the VPs basically came to you and told you that I was full of myself, among other things. What informed your decision to be transparent and tell me exactly what was said? Like, you could have just told me to tone it down and relax, don't ever do that again, and leave out the other part, but you didn't. Why was it important for me to know? Well, listen, um, I was invested in your success. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the first and foremost thing. And I believe that honesty is the best policy. And so I didn't believe that I would do you any justice by toning down the rhetoric mm. that I was hearing from some of my peers and some of my superiors. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily agree with what they were saying, mm-hmm. but I thought that it would behoove you to know so that you would be able to comport yourself um, around these various people and you knew who you were working with. Um, right. I didn't, I didn't want you to be blindsided um, as much as possible as I could manage it. Mm-hmm. I did not want you to be blindsided by anything or anyone. Mm-hmm. What do you think was the root of that commentary? So, because, you know, sending an email to the entire communication staff, it wasn't like, from my short time there, that was a thing that people did from time to time to share stuff, whether it was sharing, you know, an accolade or things that were happening in the department. So it's not like I invented that mode of communication. So what do you think was the root of that person saying oh she thinks she's full of herself when I was just saying thank you again for you know having me in the organization look what we've been able to do in a month well I would tell you honestly um, in hindsight uh, what I think that that was 
was a bit of insecurity on that person's part, okay? Mm. As well as, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to... No, let's get to the to, to the real deal. I, I believe I believe that there might have been a bit a bit of racism um, mm-hmm. involved in that as well, because people um, in corporate America, corporate America for the most part is still uh, white male dominated. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, there are a few white women that have uh, broken the glass ceiling, and even fewer African American women like myself that have broken the glass ceiling. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people are threatened by younger members of the industry Mm -hmm. because they actually see those people coming for their jobs. Mm -hmm. And um, when they experience that, sometimes they don't know how to handle it. And I would say in this particular case, uh, both individuals, because I know exactly the two people that you're mentioning to me, Mm Both of the people um, were not used to African-American women uh, that were confident, assured, and knew what they were doing and were not afraid to tell the world, this is my success, this is my accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So I would say to you that I, um, I was actually quite um, appalled that these individuals would say the things that they said mm-hmm. and so I I did my best to kind of say listen you need to check yourself you need to think about you know what you're saying right okay but I also uh, wanted to make sure you were aware because again it's important for young members of uh you know, our industry and in in society period for millennial members to have somebody or somebodies in their offices that have their back. They need Mm -hmm. advocates. They need people that will tell them the unvarnished truth, okay, Mm -hmm. so that they are able to navigate the waters in their offices. Right. And speaking of um, advocating, I think that Clearly, that was a very early moment. It was about a month in, but that was one of the early moments that kind of set the tone for our relationship. Like, you were definitely, like, a mentor and certainly an advocate for me. Um, But there were times, and one of them being when it came to salary negotiations, that it was clear that your not loyalty, but allegiance was with the company first. Like, how did you reconcile as a boss the desire to help me navigate through the politics and culture of the organization and and ultimately having my best interests in mind while still also making sure that the interests of the company were being met, which in this case, unfortunately, resulted in me getting a lower salary offer than what was initially discussed? Well, it's a a delicate balance. Mm -hmm. And... um, even in that position that I was in when I hired you, I was considered an uh, officer of the company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in hindsight, again, I'm looking at it in hindsight, I, I, I had to make sure that I was balancing the needs of the job and the needs of the company and also make sure that the salary that you were getting still allowed for you to get more at after a certain time. Mm-hmm. So um, while I while I went to bat to try to get more um, for you, mm-hmm. uh, my hands were tied because mm-hmm. 
they would not allow me, um, and they, you know, of course, HR was involved. Mm -hmm. um, they would not allow me to offer more than what they were stipulating for that role. That role. Mm -hmm. And so I had to do, you know, what the corporation allowed me to do. But I'm a one, I'm a person that usually doesn't take no for an answer. Right. So I kept trying to impress upon them the reason why it would be important to give you more money. But every single time I was met with, you know, these are the rules. This is what we pay for this particular role. Mm -hmm. And there's no wiggle room. And so that's pretty much where we were. Were you met with that resistance for any of your hires who were young and white? Actually, yes. Mm. Actually, yes. Okay. I was. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny because, you know, I always tried um, for all of the hires that I had uh, to get you guys the, uh, a salary that I thought would you know, would marry your abilities. Mm -hmm. You know, it would it would marry your uh, and your potential. Okay, mm -hmm. and and to keep you from looking elsewhere. I'll be honest. Okay, so I was trying to give my employees something competitive. Uh, yes, you mm -hmm. know, um, and, and not just competitive, competitive and something that felt good. You know, right? I mean, everybody is worthy of their hire, and no one wants to feel like. Uh, they're not being paid for the work that they're going to produce, okay, mm, or the mm -hmm. work that they are producing. Okay. And so I, you know, I've always, for every employee that I ever hired at Prudential, um, I worked hard and I advocated as much as possible to try to get the best package, the best compensation package, because it's not just salary, mm -hmm. right? It's right. other perks as well. Um, I tried my best each and every time to mm -hmm. um, give get my employees the best compensation package that was allowable. And that was an interesting moment again because, but it was also an important lesson for me because again, here is from my vantage point, here is an advocate, here's somebody that has advocated for me, that has fought for me and, and that, that I know has done this. But then when it came down to the offer and that whole situation, I'm thinking, okay, is she for me or is she against me? But then I had, I realized you had to fall in line with whatever was put on the table, you know, put on the table by the company. And what's interesting is that was my, one of my first experiences in that position. And I'm thinking, oh, because I have an advocate, and I think that this is a common mistake that, you know, young people or just people in general in the workplace think is that, oh, this is great. I'll be good because I have this person that's looking out for me. And it's so easy for us to get comfortable and think that the people who are looking out for us can really shape or steer our careers. Like in that moment, I realized that it's going to be up to me to make sure that I get the salary or pay or whatever I think that I'm worth and that I have to be my best advocate. Like I can't rely on my boss, my mentor, sponsor or whatever to make sure I'm getting my just due. Like that was an important early lesson for me. Do you think that people rely like if you are fighting for somebody do you see people getting comfortable in that way where it's like okay well Dawn got me well I would say I would say I've seen that before yes mm -hmm. 
and and I I don't think that that is the right approach. So let mm-hmm. me use my own. Let me use myself as mm-hmm. a example. Okay. When I got to Peru, uh, 16, 17 years ago, um, I started there in nineteen ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I started as a manager, mm-hmm. and I realized that I had not done my homework, mm-hmm. and I did not. Uh, do enough research on the levels and the salaries that uh, are according to those levels. Mm-hmm. So I always felt that one, I accepted the wrong job level, mm. and as a result, I accepted the wrong salary level. So, and and the person that hired me, okay, was somebody that I. So, you know, thought of as my mentor and friend. Wow. Okay. okay. So, so I didn't get angry at that individual. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was just a lesson learned. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I went about doing the work of the next level. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in my head, now what I need to do, because I should have come in as a director and right. not a manager. Mm-hmm. So... I need to do director level work, make sure that my manager and her manager are aware that I'm doing director level work. And hopefully, prayerfully, you know, it won't take long for them to promote me and make me feel um, better about the choices that I made initially Mm. when I accepted the role. And it happened. In less than two years, I was promoted to a director's position, and I felt much better about the company, about the people that hired me, and most importantly, about myself. Because ultimately, your career, your salary, that's your responsibility. That is no one else's responsibility. And I want to I want to stay here for a second. So you came in. Um, you said something really important. So you came in at a level that was you had already been working for years. So you came in at a level that was below where you should have been. Now we talk about, or I see these mistakes happen. And there's talk that if you do that, or if you s- accept a lower salary than um, than you are worth, or that then you should be getting, that that affects your entire salary trajectory for your career were you able to and you kind of leave money on the table in a sense were you able in that two and a half year span when you were doing the work above your level were you able to recover that that gap in salary like when you got promoted did they kind of was it like a double promotion or or you know did they put something extra on top to make up for it how did you uh recover from that well yes um actually because i set some really uh, gargantuan goals for myself mm-hmm. and for the company. Uh, yes, I was, was rewarded in different kind of ways. Mm. I was rewarded with, um, we have these things, we had these things called bonus, one-time, special one, on-time bonuses, okay. one-time bonuses. So I got a couple of those, okay? And um, I got, when we get an annual bonus. Okay. And I know that my annual bonus was better than um, people in my on my level. Okay. Uh, so, yes, I believe that I recovered. Did I recover fully? By the time I was leaving the company, yes. Okay? Okay. But um, 
I, I did feel as though my salary was lagging some of my peers mm. um, until I became a vice president. Once I became a vice president, everything was the, the same. gap was closed. Okay. Yes. Okay, that's an interesting uh, perspective. So I want to kind of workshop this a little bit. So because salary negotiation is it's just not discussed enough in terms of well, what should be done. So in terms okay. of doing your homework, what should anyone listening who is, uh, you know, going through this, what, what is homework? What is their homework? What should they be doing? Okay, well, number one is first try to find out if you have any, you know, if you have any friends at the company. Okay, mm -hmm. and I mean true friends because a lot Speak of people, on that. <laughs> a lot of people won't tell you their real salary. Okay, mm -hmm. they won't they won't talk about money, and I think more people do need to talk about money, mm -hmm. especially black and brown people. Mm -hmm. We need to talk about money because uh, our counterparts do. Okay, mm. and so if you don't know what what the different levels in a corporation or a nonprofit are, okay, and what the salary ranges are for those levels, then you can't make a, uh, a valid informed decision. decision. Mm -hmm. Right. You can't make a decision about where you fit, you know, on that ladder. You, you can't. Okay. And so I did have friends at that company. Mm -hmm. And so, but I did not ask them the right questions. All right. Oh, okay. What, what are the right questions? Well, number one is, can you tell me the different levels at the company? Okay. Can you tell me, you know, uh, does the company start at, 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 at manager? Does the company start at director? Like, what are the different titles of management? Mm, All right? Okay. Okay? Uh, that's number one. Number two is, if they give you that, can you give me some salary ranges mm -hmm. for those levels? All right? That's number two. Number three, you know, Actually, can you tell me about a day in the life? Give me a day in the life, okay? Mm -hmm. I, I, I had no idea when I went to Prudential, really, what the day in the life was like mm -hmm. uh, at, at that corporation, all okay. right? And then number four, uh, have you ever been promoted? And how did you get promoted? And what was that like? So those, That's important. Those questions mm -hmm. are very important. And, and people... Uh, especially women, okay, especially young women, uh, you need to ask those questions. And I would venture to say you can even ask HR that. They may not tell you, but I think you should ask because then you're able to make an informed decision about where you fit in in that particular institution. Okay, and if you say you don't have friends there, say, you know, HR is, is their, their lips are sealed, where can you get the information because um, I know, you know, Prue and other corporations, they have an internet, you know, with some information, or do you have to kind of just search the internet? Like, how do how yeah, can you find it? Yeah, I was just getting ready to say, you have to search the internet, because, you know, the internet is a vast library of information, and you can find stuff, because there, there are, and I don't know the actual rules, okay, but there are some rules out there mm -hmm. that salaries are actually posted. Uh, all to see. Mm. They don't necessarily have the person's name attached to them, mm -hmm. but they have the titles attached to them. Okay. So if you can go, if you take your time and you, you know, use Google or whatever search engine that you use and type in, you know, salaries 
uh, Prudential salaries or Coca-Cola salaries or whatever company that you're interested in, mm-hmm. you can find that. Also, in some of the magazines, some of the communications magazines. Right, the industry, like PR Week and things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So, sometimes, uh, usually, annually, they post that kind of information. Yeah, the salary um, issue. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And so you can use that as a guide as well. But it is, I, I can't tell you how important it is to do your research before you accept a position at any one of these companies so mm-hmm. that you walk in feeling good about yourself and about the salary that you have signed on the dotted line to accept. Okay, I want to stay here because I feel, I feel like you're giving the people some, some gems. So I want to stay here for another second. And okay, so I'm in the salary negotiation. You know, you your side, uh, the company presents a number. I was thinking of a different number. What is my best practice or my best next move for presenting, for the negotiation and presenting a higher number? What do I need to bring to the table well, to do that? This. Okay, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you my story, okay? Okay, okay. So, when I was, um, when I applied for the role at Prudential, well, not even applied, when I went in and I was seen for the role at Prudential, because I did not apply to Prudential. Mm-hmm. Um, I, had, I had an internal contact mm-hmm. who brought me in and uh, shared some opportunities with me, and um, I was hired through that opportunity. Okay. However, however, um, when they sent me the letter to mm-hmm. tell me that I was hired, they faxed me a letter. Mm-hmm. And I got the letter. And Sakita, I will tell you that when I saw the salary, I was amazed. Okay? Mm-hmm. Amazed in a good way, not okay. in a bad way. Okay, because I want to just I just want to say one thing. Um, Although although the salary was good, I still realized that I was not a manager. I I was a director level and I should have never taken a manager's job. Mm -hmm. The salary was good. okay, Mm -hmm. but it could have been better if I had came in where I belonged. Okay, Okay. so the salary was good. And I'm going to tell you what I thought. And I don't know where I got it from, but I'm glad I had it in me. All right. Mm-hmm. Maybe I got it from Howard, Howard University. Yes, H-U. <laughs> but um, I looked at the amount of money, and I'm going to tell you the thought that came into my head was, if they are going to offer me this, let me see if I could get a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I sat on that paper for a couple of days until they called me back to say, Miss Kelly, Did you get the letter? (laughs) We sent you a letter Mm -hmm. offering you the job. And I said, I did. I got it. And they said, well, we were expecting to hear back from you. And I said, I didn't matter of fact, I don't think I said anything. I was quiet. And they said, is there an issue? And I said, well, actually, I was looking for a little bit more money. And they said, Mm -hmm. really? How much? How much? And I gave my number. And they said, okay, and hung up the phone and faxed me a new letter with new money. Now, I would tell you, I was a little upset with myself because it because was so easy ask, to get you it. you didn't ask for that much. You could have asked for more. Yes. Okay. And it would have been more of a negotiation. You understand? Mm-hmm. Because right. then they would have said, 
oh, I got to go talk to somebody. Let me call you back. And it would have been a back and forth, okay? A, bar, okay. a, a, a negotiation, sort of like when, a real you know, one. yes. And so I realized yet again, had I did my research, mm. that I might have been able to come away because I had that was a second bite at the apple. I had a second chance to call somebody and say, wait, wait, wait. What's, tell me what the different levels are. Tell me what the salary ranges are. But I still didn't do that, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I accepted the new offer because it was the one that I said to them, signed on the dotted line, and started the job in about two or three, two or three weeks. Mm, so should I, I like that you said it wasn't a negotiation because, again, if a company signs off quick, they like, oh, this is what you'll take? Cool. So do you encourage people to get into a negotiation because that can be very risky because you know some companies will call you bluff and say okay well cool have a good one so what it's a delicate dance a little bit well once they offer you the position it's Mm -hmm. not a delicate dance anymore Mm. you're sitting in the catbird seat okay okay Okay. They, they have offered you the job all right so they're just waiting for you to say yes all right. And they have done a lot of work to get to that point. So companies usually don't want to walk away if they've already offered you the job. OK, mm. uh, the money part, the perks part, that's that's just the, the, the formalities. OK, right. the, the, the job is yours. All right. Mm. So that's why negotiations should not. That's why people really shouldn't talk about money so much in the beginning, okay? Mm. Through the courtship, you should be finding out if that company is the company you really want to work for. If, they, if, if, if their mission and goals fit well with who you are as a person and what you believe, okay? That's such that, an important point that you just made. Like, people do go into the first little, you know meeting and talk about money when it's like get the job first you know make sure make sure that they actually have money to pay you uh but most corporations if you go in the corporate route will have that money but focus on you know like you said what is the day in the life going to be like what is the work-life balance do you even though my you know we're supposed to leave at five do you expect me to be here till eight like those are the types of conversations that you encourage having Yes, what's the growth opportunities for me? Am I going to be stuck in this role yeah, for the rest of my life? Like, what's the average time between promotion, stuff like that? Yes. Okay, yes. that's, that's yes. an important point. So, so it's really important that, uh, I don't care how old you are, young, old, don't start the discussions with money. Mm. Find, out, find out if this role, if this company is a good fit for you, okay? You're courting them, and they're courting you, okay? And Mm -hmm. so once that is established, that you guys are a good fit, and uh, both the company and you are going to benefit from each other's involvement with each other, then it's time to discuss salary ranges, okay? Then it's the time to discuss that. That's an excellent point. So while we're on this this topic of the boss-employee dynamic, a common 
gripe that I hear from other millennial women, especially black women, is that they find it difficult to build meaningful relationships with older or more senior black women in a workplace. They don't feel supported. And in a sense, they feel like there's some unspoken and unnecessary competition. And what's funny is that this is actually a storyline on the new episode of Being Mary Jane. But why do you think there's such, do you think, and, and if so, why do you think there's such a generational divide amongst black women in the workplace? Oh my gosh, I think we could spend days on this question, okay? <laughs> but, but I'm going to just talk from my vantage point. So okay. I, would say, I would say that members of my generation, um, and I'm considered a baby boomer, um, I would say that with the millennials, okay, mm-hmm. um, you guys, th- that, that cohort of, 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 um, of individuals... Um, has come into the workplace and pretty much taken over, okay? Mm. With your new tools, okay? You know, new technology, new tools, new ideas, um, and just the overall uh, way in which you approach work and the world, okay? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, uh, the people before me, and I don't know what, I don't know what they're called, uh, I don't know what, I don't know what, I don't they're, know what they're, they're... I think you guys were the first generation to start being named. Yeah, I think because I'm... Actually, they call me Generation Jones because I'm at the end of the baby boomers. So those are the real baby boomers. Okay, okay. okay. With them, I think with them, many of those black women are the first. Okay? Mm. Now, I'm not going to say that I wasn't a first because I had some first too. Okay? But many of them were the first to to make it to the positions that they made it and they had to do they had to work harder longer smarter they had to be strategic and I'm not saying that you don't need all of those things now but it was a different dynamic then okay right. it, it, we, we were we were just coming out of segregation okay let's mm. let's be real honest okay and so the world was a different place and it was really really hard for women not just black women white women too okay it was really hard for women to navigate these corporate and nonprofit environments because they were dominated by men and and let's be real men like the club they're in okay and right. they necessarily doesn't want didn't want to have uh uh women any kind of women uh join their club okay mm-hmm. because they enjoyed being the breadwinners, they enjoy, uh, uh, you know, that camaraderie at the top. in that space, right? Mm-hmm. Right, being at the top, and so the women before us, I think that they just were, they're just a little bit more uh, cloistered, you know, a little bit more closed to people because they had to be. Those were skills that they needed in order to survive mm. in those jobs, okay? So then here comes people like me, all right, who are beneficiaries, if you will, of the work that these women did. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the doors they kicked open, the, the you know, I'm a beneficiary of that. Right. And so I come in behind them and... And, you know, I want to talk to them. I want to learn from them. But remember, they're still a little, you know, little antsy about, I don't know you. I, I've, I've had to claw my way to the top. Mm-hmm. Okay? And there's and traditionally not- only been one position for somebody like me. Right. 
and I'm not sure, I'm not sure of you because I don't know you well. I'm not sure if I want to let you in. And you know what? I understood it, okay? Mm-hmm. And so how I managed it is I, I, I decided that these one or two women that I chose, that I would do everything I could to help them with whatever goals and objectives they had. Okay, I didn't go out looking to serve myself first. It was to help them. And that created a relationship because they saw that I wasn't just out for self. I was out for both of us to move ahead. Okay, Mm -hmm. And, and, and I created relationships in that way. So now let's talk about these the millennials. So then the millennials come in and I'm I'm not even gonna use you. Mm-hmm. You come in, you come in and you like, I'm about to just change the whole <laughs> way you guys do stuff here. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, this what you've been doing, let me tell you how you could do it better. Okay. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, sometimes that can rub people the wrong way, okay? Because it it, it, it it's it's what one, it's scary, right? Because what you're doing is telling me that everything I was doing really don't matter no more, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that uh, and that my 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 uh, decisions and my and my my mode of opera of operating, right, is now dated, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And so it it can be a little scary, but see the, the way I look at life is if you can't beat them, join them, all right? And so I realized, and I, I realized that learning from you, okay, finding a, finding a middle ground, a common ground where you can teach me and I can teach you and we put that stuff together and it, beco- it, 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 it makes an even more, uh, even better product, okay? Right. I, I'm going to give an example. Uh, Twitter. I'm going to use Twitter mm-hmm. because, Peter, you taught me how to use Twitter, mm-hmm. okay? I remember when we were in a staff meeting and you and a couple of the young people in the office was talking about Twitter. And I remember saying, you guys could do that. I'm not doing any Twitter, Twittering, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And so, but after a while, when I saw how Twitter was actually helping to publicize and promote the work that we were doing, I'm like, okay, instead of sitting back and being mad, right, mm-hmm. or, or being upset that I don't know how to do it, all right, let me let me learn. Let mm-hmm. me actually have Sakita and some of these other young people teach me what to do, all mm-hmm. right? And that's what I did. And yeah. now, now I'm a beast at Twitter and some of the other social media. So mm-hmm. I just think that... Um, young people need to focus on relationships. That's mm. that's the key. Okay, that's the key. Focus on relationships because okay. relationships are what will um, move you from the lowest level on the totem pole and progress you along. You know, I used to say it's uh, who you know, but it's not who you know. It's who knows you I was about to say. and That's who it. will vouch for you, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have relationships and you haven't done something for someone else, then I, 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 I'm almost confident that you will have a much harder time moving ahead 
versus the individual that creates relationships with people that are more senior uh, than mm-hmm. you are. Okay, so so to recap that, that was amazing advice. To recap that, what we can do as people, but especially as black women um, across generations in uh, the workplace is that for millennials, you know, just kind of getting our careers started and underway, we need to focus on relationships and we need to forget what we perceive to be resistance. We need to kind of break through and continue to communicate and make sure that we are looking out for, I guess, whatever that team dynamic is. And if you're a more senior person um, in the industry, don't, you know, don't sit back, join them, learn what it, whatever is the new technology or learn whatever is the new method uh, of doing business. Is, is that what, whatever would hurt? Yes, that's exactly okay. what you heard. Uh, you know, I, relationships matter. Okay. And they, they can be the key to your progression or to your stagnation. Mm. Relationships matter and they can be the key to your progression or What's that last part? The what to your Stagn- stagnation? Stagnation. The key to your stagnation. Did you did y'all get that? Cause cause that okay, <laughs> that's a word. But now I wanna that that was that was amazing. Like I, I'm gonna have to go back and replay that myself because the, that was that was just good. Now I wanna fast forward a little bit. So by the time I decided to quit that job, like you weren't my boss anymore, but obviously we were still very close. So you were one of the first people that I told, uh, and I, you know, when I came into your office and told you that I was quitting, what went through your head, and what was some of the initial chatter in the office about it? Okay, so what went through my head? Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> um, I just was like, I was in shock. I will be so honest with you. I was in shock, and I'm going to also be very, very honest. I also was a tad bit envious, okay? Mm -hmm. Because here I was, a woman who had, by this time, already worked over 20 years in the uh, communications industry. Mm -hmm. And I maybe had harbored some really secret dreams by this time because you and I had gotten very close and we mm-hmm. used to talk about everything. Mm-hmm. I maybe had harbored some secret dreams of having my own. But I tell you honestly, as a, uh, uh, I was a divorced mother of two children that I was mm-hmm. raising on my own. And I... I cared about having, you know, consistent dollars, right? Mm -hmm. I cared about having consistent health insurance, okay, Mm -hmm. because I had people that depended on me, okay? Now, it would have been different maybe if I didn't have all that, but I Mm -hmm. did. And so I, I was... I was, I had so many feelings um, because when you told me, I think we were months away, like a couple of months away from our bonus season. Mm-hmm. And so everybody I thought I was you, crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't want you to leave money on the table. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted you to at least, because you had worked so hard, okay? Right. And you had achieved so much and you were such a star, okay, that what I was trying, I just wanted you to at least wait to get the bonus money and, mm-hmm. you know, leave maybe six weeks after that, right? Because mm-hmm. that's usually about the time that you, you have to right, mm-hmm. wait. So I just wanted you to wait. And um, when you said to me, uh, I don't want to wait because those are golden handcuffs that I might not be able to take off. 
Mm. I still get the same feeling that I got that day. Mm -hmm. My stomach, my I felt like my heart went to my stomach. Mm. And I was concerned for you because <laughs> mm -hmm. I thought this young lady is so adamant about her future. She's so adamant and so, um, trying to think of the right word, so fearful mm -hmm. of uh, being tethered forever mm -hmm. like the rest of us to some corporation mm -hmm. that she's willing to risk forego, it all. Uh, yeah, and forego a sizable chunk of cash, okay? Mm -hmm. And I, I was concerned. Mm -hmm. but, I, but I took that day, and I will never forget, I was riding home on the New Jersey Transit, and it hit me. How emotionally intelligent you were. How much of a trailblazer you were. And if not now, when? And mm. so, I congratulated you the following day. I think I might even text you that evening yeah. and say, mm -hmm. I'm so proud of you. Okay? And if, if I didn't give you the appropriate reception when you came in my office, I want to give it to you now. I'm proud of you. Mm -hmm. I know that you would do well. I still said I wish you wouldn't leave the money on the table because mm -hmm. you deserved it, okay? Mm -hmm. You deserved it. But I was very proud of you, and I just, you know, wanted to see you. I wanted to see you win. And if, if winning to you, if winning was to be away from corporate America and in mm -hmm. your own business, then that's what I wanted to happen for you. And mm -hmm. I'm very proud of you, Sakita, very Thank you. And what was crazy about that is I was, you know, I didn't come from money. So I really felt like if I stay here and if I see whatever this check going to look like and my eyes pop out of my head, I may never leave. Like that company pays well. It, it just is what it is. It pays well. And you can actually build a life by being there. And I was like, if I don't sh at least try and if I you know if I fall flat on my face I was prepared to lose everything okay I might not be able to keep my apartment might lose my car whatever it is but I have to know and I have fallen on my face numerous times in the six years uh since that day um but I don't it would have been nice but I kind of feel like I still made the right choice because I don't know if I, I don't know if I would have left because I as much as you were scared for me and everybody else was kind of concerned and worried I was terrified I know I didn't know what I didn't know you know we but had, you jumped you jumped anyway and yeah. that is uh, that that inspired me okay that mm -hmm. inspired me from I mean you always inspired me from the day you came in and I worked with you mm -hmm. um but that day I saw you in a I saw you in such a different light and um it it continued to inspire me it 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 I it never left me never mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and um it made me think too that maybe one day I could do it too 
And and we gonna we gonna talk about that right now. We gonna get into that right now. <laughs> so let let's switch gears a little bit. And I, I just want to say thank you, of course, uh, for for all of that um, and giving me telling me things that I didn't even know from that time. But I want to switch gears and, and talk a little bit more about your professional experience and the things that you're up to now. So as I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, you've had a long and successful career. What is something? Maybe one thing that you would attribute to your career success. Um, can you explain that a little bit more? Tell me. Yeah, what is, what is something, is it, you know, you know, like you always said when, when you met me, okay, I can tell that she really believes in herself or believes in this thing for her future and you can't really knock her off that block. What is something it, that an, maybe is something that you naturally possess that you can attribute to like your career success? What is something that has gotten you through everything to this point? Um, besides my belief in God and that I could do anything, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was my experiences, okay? My, my past experiences. You know, I, I just always, let me, let me, let me, let me back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. When I decided I wanted to be in PR, when I made a decision that that was the right uh, industry for me, there were three things that I came to grips with. One, I love to talk. I love to talk, okay? I love to talk, and I'm very, very persuasive. Mm -hmm. And I love to write. That's another thing. So I had to find a career where I could marry those things, and PR was the one where I could. And I can also tell a good story. Very, very good story. Okay. And storytelling is pretty much 99% of communicating effectively. Right. If you're able to tell a story that other people can relate to and see themselves in, then you're more apt to be successful as a public relations professional, as a communications professional. And so once I was confident in that, once I, you know, pretty much knew what I knew what I knew, I'm like, mm-hmm. this is this is this is the career for me. And I'm right. gonna put blinders on and I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna do it. And that's what I did. Okay. In addition to your overall career success, you also had a very successful run at Prudential for almost two decades. However, in late 2015, you were laid off. What was that moment like for you, and did you feel blindsided by it? Oh, my gosh. So, yes, I felt I was blindsided. Mm -hmm. Um, I enjoyed a very, very successful career at Prudential. I was promoted five times. Okay, mm-hmm. that's pretty much unheard of. Okay, and I, I got to do so many wonderful things. I mean, I traveled the world. I worked on some of the most important projects for the company. I mentored people. I mm-hmm. hired individuals. So Prudential was a great run for me. And so we got a new boss, and. He made some decisions that I'll tell you still today, I don't understand. But I see it now as a gift. Mm. When, I first, when, I, when I first got the information, I, I felt cursed. And, it, and I was sad. 
I was sad for a very, very long time. And one day I just woke up and realized that I had been gifted, that God had gave me a gift, and now I could do all the things that I wanted to do. I had the time, I had the resources, and I had the will um, and the need mm-hmm. uh, to, do some other, to do some other things. And I've been, you know, pursuing those things ever since. Well, how did you, because, I mean, so many people go through this um, at some point in their lives. How did you recover from that? You know, you said you were kind of in that space uh, for a long time of this dark cloud. Uh, is recovery even the right way to categorize it? Like, what was that like, that process from getting the news to then feeling like, you know, months or however long later, like, you know what, this, is, this may actually be a good thing? Well, um, honestly, every once in a while, I still have moments when I think about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I can't tell you if it ever goes away. I don't know. You see, I never in my life, that was the first time mm-hmm. that that had ever happened to me. I'd never been fired, eliminated, retrenched, because these are all the different words that they use. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've never had that happen to me before in all the years of working. And so imagine if you're someplace and and you believe that you're doing a great job because your performance evalu- evaluations say that you're doing a great job. And then all of a sudden, some new dude comes in and eliminates your job and tells you that you're not doing a great job. Then uh, it does make your mind swim. All right. Mm-hmm. But I had to come back to who I am because Prudential didn't make me. Yes. Mm hmm. Okay, and I had to remember that. I went to Prudential uh, ready, okay? Mm-hmm. I went to Prudential with good skills, okay? I may have learned about a new industry, and I may have learned some new skills when I was at Prudential, but Prudential did not make me, and I had to remember that. I had to remember that Dawn Kelly was Dawn Kelly before she went to Prudential. Dawn Kelly was Dawn Kelly before this new dude you know, came into his job, and it didn't matter what he says, it matters what I say about me, mm-hmm. all right, mm-hmm. and, it, and, it, and it matters about um, what I want to do with the rest of my life, so it, I, it took me, I would say it took me three months to actually, I'm trying to think, emerge, because I did feel like I was in some kind of cave, right, mm-hmm. a cave of depression, and I'm, I'm going to tell the truth, okay, mm-hmm. I was in a cave of depression because, number one, um, I am the first person in my family to ever work at a corporation such as Prudential. Mm-hmm. I'm the first person in my family to ever make six figures, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I was the person, I was the first person in my family to be able to actually help other members of my family without it hurting myself, mm-hmm. okay? And so those things, you know, those things were the things that um, hurt me the most because I felt like my ability to assist my family and my children in the way that I had been doing for 16 years was taken away from me for no reason at all, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to get over the anger uh, of that because I, I was angry, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to get over that anger and I had to recognize that um, 
I probably had already I had already put those things in place. I I had a a, a thing on my desk, a, a, a crown on my desk, and it said retire at fifty. Okay. Mm-hmm. I had already passed that mark. So, if truth be told, I was already there on borrowed time, mm-hmm. and I had told my I had already told my Lord and Savior that that I would be done with that kind of work. By 50. And so, um, in hindsight, I realized that um, it was time. It was time. It was time. I had worked enough for others. I had made many other issues, people, brands, famous, okay? Now it was time to do that for things I wanted to do, mm-hmm. things that I was passionate about. And so, that's why I eventually you know, now see it as a gift. Mm. Your personal brand was so tied to that company because of all the reasons you just gave. You did so much for so many um, executives, so many sections of uh, or parts of the business. Like, I can't recall um, any time that when I worked there that I would be out and we wouldn't even be together. I could be in any city on business uh, for Prudential or just out in the PR world. And if the company's name came up, that person would also be saying your name in the same breath. Like, okay, Prudential, do you know Don Kelly? Because I know, because Don Kelly, you know, everybody had a Don Kelly story. Um, so your person, you know, you you were that company for a lot of people or you were how they knew the company. So when that piece of the puzzle was no longer part of the equation, was that a blow to your personal identity or in that kind of recovery where you was like, I've been, I'm Don Kelly, you know, I've been Don Kelly. But what was that like to now not have that association? Well, it's funny because I still get that today, mm. okay? Um, I still get phone calls from reporters because I've always, and you know this, I've always given reporters both my personal cell phone as well as my work phone mm-hmm. so that they could make sure they can get in touch with me. So for months after leaving Prudential, I've continued to receive emails and phone calls from reporters seeking information about Prudential. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and, and some of them would say, I don't know what they were thinking. You was the best thing they had over there, okay? Right, and right. so, and so, yes. In the beginning, um, it was hard because I still feel that I helped put Prudential on the map. I still feel that many of its watershed moments over my 16 years, I was instrumental. In the coverage, the, the the positive coverage that they receive, mm-hmm. and so yes, it's 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 still hard sometimes when I when I see individuals getting accolades for projects that I may have instituted at the company or partnerships that I was instrumental in bringing to the company. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's difficult. It's difficult, but. I now view it different. I change my perspective. Mm. And I see it as the wonderful legacy that I left behind. Mm. Nobody can take that away from me. So what's important is the way in which you as the individual look at the circumstances or the 
situation that you find yourself in. I left a wonderful legacy at Prudential, and I'm proud of what I did for that company. And I'm also grateful for the opportunities that I was afforded as a result of the good work and successful work that I was able to conduct mm -hmm. on the company's behalf. Mm. A lot of people need to hear this, right? Because I see it every single day where people really have this inflated, they may not believe so strongly as we do in themselves, so they have this inflated sense of self based on their name maybe being on a certain masthead or them working for a certain company or having a certain client. And I think it's a mistake because as we just discussed, those, those are things that can be snatched from you in an instant. And who are you when it's no longer there? You know, when your phone stops ringing off the hook or them invites stop coming in and you start to think, damn, was I only popping because I was working for such and such? It's going to be a hard pill to swallow, which, I, which is why I'm definitely an advocate for people to have a or develop a separate personal brand but personal branding is still kind of like a concept that people are leery about so what can we do just as creatives as entrepreneurs or as executives within a company to build that solid foundation within ourselves of self-assuredness and you know belief like how can we make sure that no matter what gets snatched from us, whether it's a job, whether it's whatever it is, how can we make sure that even with or without, we are good? So I got two things to say about that. Number one, a lot of corporations don't allow that. They don't allow, especially if you're a senior leader, they don't allow these... these uh, you to be somebody else externally. Personal brand. Uh -huh. They don't allow it, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, that you gotta you have to get approval mm -hmm. okay and it's usually hard to get approval okay okay however i think it's important and it's going to go back to what we talked about earlier about relationships okay because my phone still rings okay i still have my connections with all the people that i had while i was at Peru. Mm -hmm. why because many of them i had before i got to Peru. hello okay? hello so again <laughs> so again it's back to relationships um relationships okay i didn't go to Peru and and make make you know all these relationships happen there no i brought some with me okay that's what made me valuable to the company mm -hmm. okay because i had relationships with journalists that were deep Okay, long and deep. Okay, mm -hmm. journalists, that, journalists that would vouch for me. Okay, that would stand up in front of anybody and say she's the best. All right. Mm -hmm. So relationships matter. That's number one. Number two, in terms of external uh, branding, um, I think it's important. Like if you are in some industry organization, so I'm going to use for myself National Association of Black Journalists. Mm -hmm. I've been a member of that organization since I worked at AARP mm -hmm. um, in Washington D.C., and I never let that relationship go away. Even if my organization or company didn't pay for my membership, I paid for myself. Okay, mm -hmm. I invested in myself because I knew that it was important that those relationships stay consistent. Right. And I lived in Washington. I was a member of the Washington Association. 
I moved to and in the in the Maryland Association. Mm-hmm. I moved to New York. I became a member of the New York Association. I got the job at Prudential. I became a member of the Garden State Association. So I made sure that I stayed involved with that organization. And every chance I got. Um, I look to partner with them in all of the different uh, job uh, roles that I had uh, over the years. So mm-hmm. I partnered with NABJ when I worked at AARP. I partnered with NABJ when I part when I worked at York College, mm-hmm. and I partnered with NABJ when I was a member when I worked for Prudential. So I just think that. Uh, a way you can do that is through your industry, mm-hmm. okay? Whatever industry you're in, right. there's a way to uh, c- create some personal branding there so that it still helps you and your and your company, um, you know, while you're working there. Right. But then when you walk away, you still have that as well. Right. That's a great point. So now let's let's talk about the bounce back. Let's talk about the bounce back. So lately, you've been doing PR for several clients, and you're getting ready to open your first, and I say first because I know it's going to be more to come, <laughs> your first brick-and-mortar juice bar in Queens called The Nourish Spot. Was your decision to continue to do PR one born from passion, and will the juice bar be the core focus when it opens, or will you continue to do both? So, um, i got to make you laugh here. Um I actually went out on a couple of interviews okay. last year, and it's funny because um, while I was home for like three months, I didn't even think about going on an interview, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, my LinkedIn, just every time I turned around, somebody was offering me a job and asking me to come to their offices and, you know, listen, mm-hmm. okay, and I had gotten so used to used to wearing comfortable shoes, you know, <laughs> uh, sneakers mm-hmm. and wedges and, you know, jeans, that the day I had to put on a suit again, I felt crazy, okay? Mm-hmm. It, just, it just was, I'm not sure I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And I went in for, I, I took three interviews, and the last interview um, I pretty much think the job was mine. Mm-hmm. It was mine to give away, mm-hmm. okay? But by the time I finished seeing, like, the third or fourth person, because you know how companies do yeah. want you to see 15 people. Right. So by the time I got to the last person, and she asked me for writing samples. <laughs> you was probably like, girl. <laughs> well, what I said was, Google me. Oh! <laughs> like, if you don't get out of here, excuse me? And so that was the moment mm-hmm. that I realized that I would never work for anybody else again. Mm. And I needed to figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And juicing, so we're going to get to the nurse. Spot. Yes. I was home in my house, and so I, I, I have to lay this out, and I know you'll fix it up, but I was home in my house, laying across my bed, kind of having a pitiful moment. Woe is me, mm-hmm. okay? And I was asking God, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I want to do. I'm not, I don't want to work for anybody else, okay? I, I need some help here. Help me. What do I want to do? 
I'm laying on my bed, my TV's on, and I hear on the screen they say something about a juice bar coming up next. It was CNN mm-hmm. coming up next. Juice uh, Styles P opens yes. a juice bar, mm-hmm. and I swiveled my head because I was looking straight up at the sky at the ceiling. Okay, mm-hmm. I swiveled my head. And I'm like, a juice bar? And I'm like, oh my gosh. Now, no one knows, but I always wanted to own a bar. You know, right. a regular bar. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. And I'm like, I've been juicing all 2015. Mm-hmm. I juiced. I, I, on my Instagram. I remember. Everybody goes to my Instagram. They'll see that I was juicing on my own. Nobody said to me, oh, you should juice. I just started juicing because I was trying to get in better shape, okay? Mm -hmm. And I was about trying to lose some weight. And I said to God, wait, am I supposed to open a juice bar? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, well, where am I supposed to do it? And my daughter will tell you that I jumped up out my bed and I said, Jay, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but God told me to go outside and look around the corner, stand on the corner and look up. Mm. And Sakita, she came with me. Mm-hmm. And I ran around the corner from my house and I looked up across the street. And across the street from me was a storefront. You know, they have the awnings on the store. Yep. And there was a storefront that said, no joke, it said, D period, K period, furniture improvement. Wow. So your initials on it. And that was the sign. Like, okay, I got to do this. And guess where my juice bar is? That, that exact spot. In that spot. Wow. So while that is occurring, okay, while I'm going through the motions to learn what I need to do mm-hmm. in order to open a brick and mortar establishment Mm -hmm. I have a friend who's a clothing designer Mm -hmm. that I met during one of my trips at Prudential one of the great things at Pru is we got to do a lot of professional development Mm -hmm. and because I was a stellar employee I was able to attend many of these professional development opportunities okay one of them is called Odyssey, the Odyssey Network mm-hmm. Business Women's Conference. And so also in 2015, I met Miss Jody Davis, mm-hmm. an African-American fashion designer. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, other than Willie Smith and FUBU, I had never met a black fashion designer in my life. Mm-hmm. And I became enamored with her because she was from Baltimore, and I'm from New York. Mm-hmm. Two city girls. Mm-hmm. And she was, a, she was a nice woman. And we became friendly. That's it. Just friendly. Mm-hmm. Okay? When I was eliminated, she was one of the first people that I called to tell her. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, don't worry. We could work together. Now, I was in my pity party, so I was like, mm, no, not interested. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Have a great day. And I hung up the phone. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that woman would not let me go. Mm. She kept calling me. DK, 
we could do this. Calling me, calling me till one day, I couldn't say no anymore. Mm. One day, it was as if every artery, every cell in my body said, you're going to do this. And you're going to make her into a household name because that's who you are mm-hmm. and that's what you do. Right. And so I couldn't hide from who I am because I am a PR person. Mm-hmm. And I like to make other people's dreams come true. Mm-hmm. In addition to my own. Right. Okay. But I like to make other people's dreams come true. I believe that that's my purpose in life. Mm. And so I said yes. And we have been succeeding. And she has been selling Mm -hmm. more clothing and more apparel than she ever has since we've started working together. And as a result of working with her, I have uh, assumed other clients as well. That's amazing. So once the Nourish Spot opens, are you still going to do PR? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes, I am. Because Nourish is a family legacy. So here's the reason for Nourish. Um, Remember I said that my salary uh, helped my family. Right. Not just me, not just my children, my brothers, my dad, my mom. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to establish something for my children. You know, I could, when, when the good Lord takes me away, yeah, they'll mm-hmm. get my life insurance and my savings. But mm-hmm. I just didn't want that to be all. I wanted right. them to have a business. And mm-hmm. my daughter is a chef by trade. Mm-hmm. Isn't it, and we talked about this offline. Isn't it funny how that played out? Because she was trying to figure out what she wanted to do. And then a whole year before this even came to be, she decides to go to culinary school and kill it. Yes, yes. And not only that, let, let, let me just back up a little bit. So one of the things I was crying over when my job was taken away mm-hmm. was my traveling you mm-hmm. know i love to travel right. okay and that's one of the great perks of pr you travel on somebody else's dime okay you still you have work to do when you get to that that place that destination mm-hmm. but after hours you get to visit and and see those cities and those countries okay and so you know i always say god always has a ram in the bush mm-hmm. because i my job was eliminated, but my daughter became a flight attendant. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, even though Prudential took away my role and I did not have travel privileges to them, God fixed it. So, now I got travel privileges through my daughter. Mm-hmm. So, God always has a ram in the bush. Okay. All right. And as a as a new entrepreneur, you know, with the PR business, but also with the storefront, what are some challenges that you've faced so far? Oh, my gosh. There's so <laughs> many. So, so one is just knowing the rules and the regulations of how to do business legitimately mm-hmm. in New York State, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I've always been an employee. You know, I I didn't know. I don't know what the rules are, you know, and I don't know what kind of licensing you need Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, what kind of what kind of, uh, you know, vendors you need Mm -hmm. and 
what kind of forms need to be filled out. So I had to go about and learn those things. So right. I joined, like, uh, there's an organization called WE um, in New York City. I joined WE. Um, and that's a bunch of women entrepreneurs that share information. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started, I went to SCORE. I went to the SBA. I mean, any organization that was offering information, I was there mm-hmm. and I was learning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in New York, I, I have to, in order to have a juice bar, you have to have a, a, a certificate from the health department. Mm-hmm. So I went to class and took the, you know, took the classes that I needed to take in order to get my certificate. And... Then I had to hire an architect, and mm-hmm. I had to hire a contractor to do the work, mm-hmm. you know. And I've learned some things there because, you know, I've, I've remodeled my home. But remodeling a home and remodeling a business, a brick-and-mortar business, mm-hmm. are two different things. So I've learned some things that, you know, once I establish another place, mm-hmm. um, that I'll know for the next time. Right. But in my contract with my contractor. I should have had something called a hammer clause. Mm. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Okay, what is I didn't that? know that. Well, a hammer clause is you get you negotiate with your contractor a date of completion. Mm. Okay, and if they go, if, if they don't complete by that date, every day after that, they lose money. Mm. Okay, from you. Right, that's important. See? So I didn't know that before I started this. Mm-hmm. I know it now. Right. So the next go round, I will have a hammer clause in the contract with the contractor. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, and then also the other thing is just how much how much resources that are really needed to open a business. Mm-hmm. You know, I I was fortunate. You know, I had saved and I did get a, a healthy severance check. Mm-hmm. Okay. But um, to establish a business from the ground up, because I, you know, I, I established it from the ground up. The mm-hmm. place was a, a furniture improvement place. Right. It, it wasn't a, a bar. It wasn't a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Okay. It wasn't a bar. So, you know, we had to pretty much gut and start all over. So, you know, I learned a lot about, you know, materials. Mm-hmm. I learned about interior decorating, design. You know, I learned about a lot of things that I didn't know. I learned about DOB, mm-hmm. Department of Buildings Regulations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's been a learning experience, but I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm glad um, that I've gone through all of this because I'm better for it. Mm. And aside from Press Juices, what else can we expect from the Nourish Spot? Because I know I can't wait to go. So, <laughs> Well, uh, it's going to be fresh pressed juices and salads. Okay. You know, I see myself, I, we, we, I want to say we, mm-hmm. uh, we see ourselves as the antidote to the bodega. Mmm, come on now, storyteller. Come on. <laughs> okay. That's a, that's so, a word. Yes. So, so in our communities, because I live in a predominantly African-American community, and I'm proud of it, mm-hmm. okay? I did not, I intentionally did not take my resources and move away from my people. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not, I'm not judging anybody, but I always saw myself as a beacon of light for people in my community mm-hmm. that thought 
that didn't think that they could. Mm. So I thought that if they saw me succeeding, then maybe, just maybe, they would change their mindset and think a little bigger mm-hmm. and try a little harder. Okay. And so I never left my community. Okay. And so um, our communities, all we have is a bunch of fast food places and bodegas. I mean, yep. where do you go and there's bodegas on both sides of the street? You know, right. like right you, next to each other. A- yeah, you on the avenue. You on you on one avenue, and on one on the left side of the avenue is a bodega, and on the right side of the avenue is a bodega. That makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. And they are not selling any. Everything they sell in there is processed, old. Okay, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. people don't look. At, People don't look at the, the, the time date stamp, and they should, because I have. And right. all of that stuff is old. Sometimes it's a year old, okay? Because wow. it's been sitting on that shelf. And mm-hmm. because they know that that these communities and the individuals in the, this, these communities are not trained to look at date stamps, okay? Right. Then they sell people that crap. Okay, and I wanted to change that because I'm fortunate I have a car. And so when I'm not cooking in my house, I have to drive out of my community to somebody else's community to get the things I want. If I want a nice bagel, I can't buy it over here. If I Mm. want a a Starbucks coffee, I can't get it over here. Um, Mm -hmm. if, if, If I want someplace just to sit and be comfortable and drink a cup of tea. It's not over here. And Mm. so what I wanted to do is to bring where I go to my community. And Mm. so that's what I'm doing. That's what we're doing with the Nourish Spot. We are are combating uh, those processed foods that are uh, offered up to our community at exorbitant prices um, and giving people an alternative, a healthy alternative. Because you also know that black and brown people got diabetes. Mm-hmm. We're beset with high blood pressure. Um, and it stems you know, from what we eat. Right. And in my community, we got one grocery store. And it's not the best one. Okay? It's not the best one. And so I just want to bring fresh fruits and vegetables close by and make it affordable. Um, and have a nice place where my community uh, and the members of my community are proud of. Well, I think that there is no better place to, to end. Uh, that's a high note. And I commend you for doing that. And it's so funny because I, I think I told you when you first told me you were doing this, I was like, I wanted to have a juice bar too. So I'm going to have to buy into this franchise at some point. Uh, <laughs> but um, thank you again for getting on the podcast. You know, I got so much love for you, but I just really thought that it would be important for people to hear the conversations that you and I have offline anyway, um, because we don't get to hear these types of conversations uh, between a boss and a former employee, or just between the generational conversation and what we learn from each other, what we take away. Um, And I'm just so grateful to you. And I don't know if you really understand that. Like, you gave oh, well. me an opportunity. You you gave me that little opening where I could kind of kick the door down. Um, and that is something I will be eternally grateful for. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And with that, I want to say thank you to you, too. Because I one of the things that we didn't talk about, but I want to say it real quick. 
Mm -hmm. One of the things that we learned at Howard is to lift as you climb. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I'm most proud of, of my tenure at Prudential, is that the, the, my superior before the guy who eliminated my, to eliminated my job, mm -hmm. his name was Bob Filippo. Mm -hmm. he gave me the authority to hire young people. And he gave me the authority to hire young people from my alma mater. And Sakita, you were my first. And because you were excellent, because you were stellar, I was able to hire an, in, an intern every single year after that. Mm. And so I want to say to you, young lady, well done. Mm. Well done. 